Oh, hey, you made it. Welcome to the new year. Can you tell by the way that I just said that new was spelled in umlaut u? Anyway, did you know that Zemezaverda is the scientific name for popcorn? Well, now you know. And knowing is half the battle. Because the more you know, the more you... I don't know. How does the rest of that go? I don't think that sentence ever ended. Anyway, I think it's weird that there's a scientific name for a cooked product. So, now that you're in the mood for learning and have possibly been alienated by about five dated references, I have still more to teach you. This episode is an overview of notable films from the past 16 months, as seen by your host, Mixtape Majesty. Why 16 months, you ask? Because this may seem weird, but I actually existed before this podcast. And I did see a few movies in those days of existence in my primordial prime, in the ectoplasm of over-opinionated infancy. Some of my favorite releases of the past five years came out in the last 16 months. And I consider it my duty to wave their flags, toot their horns, and butter their popcorn. Uh, I'm not going to go too far back. We've got about, insert number here, films to discuss, My Friend Corns. I think it's five films and some honorable mentions. Side note, all of the Oscar fodder films just came out, as they say, this Christmas, which at the time of this recording is not that long ago. I haven't had time yet to see all of them, so don't think I'm forgetting them. Their judgment awaits future episodes. So get out your post-it notes or your tablet or your tattoo gun so you can write down your list of what to see after you listen to this episode. Redbox, Netflix, Hulu Plus, Amazon Instant. The future is now and it's beautiful. I believe there is another world waiting for us, a better world, and I'll be waiting for you there with Tom Hanks, Halle Berry, Jim Broadbent, who you may remember as Professor Slughorn in the Harry Potter movies, or not, or as Inspector Butterman in Hot Fuzz. Uh, Also in this better world is Hugo Weaving, who you may know as Agent Smith or Elrond, Lord of Rivendell, so hot, Jim Sturgis, who you've also seen in Across the Universe, and in this world you might catch a glimpse of Susan Sarandon and Hugh Grant. What is this celebrity-ridden place, you ask? We are talking about Cloud Atlas. Directed by the Wachowskis, it came out in October 2012, which, hence the 16-month thing. I'm usually pretty wary of movies that have what they call an all-star cast. They run the risk of becoming Oscar bait and, in the process, losing the crucial elements of a film, including the most crucial element of all, passionate investment. When you feel like the entire crew of the movie, the acting, the directing, the cinematography, the set, the special effects... The editing, all of it was done with with a sincere interest in creating this perfect film baby. And that's exactly what makes me passionate about a movie when you can see that. And that's exactly what Cloud Atlas is and does. I'm also a big fan of science fiction, which Cloud Atlas is, but it's also very unique in that it kind of mixes a bunch of genres together or maybe transcends them. One of my first thoughts after I saw this movie was that if the right people see it, It's going to change filmmaking. It could change storytelling. There's only one problem. Not that many people saw it. The movie clocks in at 172 minutes. That is 2.8 hours. To be sure, Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Rings is almost four hours long. 
And that hasn't kept it from getting any viewers, but like any adaptation of a popular book series, it has a built-in fan base. Even people that end up hating it are going to see it, hating it are going to see it and talk about it. Cloud Atlas, although it was also a book first, it has a niche audience that doesn't come anywhere near the fan base of the Ring series or the Harry Potter series or the original Star Wars series. Uh, side note, I hate the newer Star Wars movies, but I saw every single one of them in theaters, some of them more than once, because they're Star Wars. Um, so what I heard most when Cloud was in theaters is that people just didn't have an interest in seeing something that was almost three hours long and that they didn't already have an investment in. Add to that the beautiful but head-cockingly vague trailer, and you have disappointing box office numbers. Uh, so the trailer for Cloud Atlas, unlike with Pacific Rim or Gravity, I don't feel that the trailer for Cloud Atlas was a bad sell. The trailers for Pacific Rim and Gravity lacked the elements that would pull the biggest possible crowd that would love them. I feel like those trailers appealed to two groups. The intellectuals, who could look past the trailer and use common sense and insight, and the indifferent, who just like movies and tend to expect most releases to be utterly watchable. But the, the trailers for Pacific Rim and Gravity failed to appeal to mass audiences, or even the kind of subculture audiences that would love them. I think word of mouth probably promoted those movies more than their trailers did. Now, the Cloud Atlas trailer did the best it could. The thing is, the movie is so intricate and multi-layered, and yes, confusing, that it's extremely difficult to sell it in a two-minute chunk of editing. What sold me more was the film synopsis written by whoever, which is this. Cloud Atlas is an exploration of how the actions of individual lives impact one another in the past, present, and future, as one soul is shaped from a killer into a hero, and an act of kindness ripples across centuries to inspire a revolution. Other than that, I'm not going to try to describe this movie to you. It would be like describing a flavor. Just eat it. Another interesting thing about this movie is the Wachowskis themselves. They're the family duo that brought you The Matrix, wrote and produced V for Vendetta, and made the unfortunately disappointing live-action Speed Racer. The Wachowskis are notoriously private, they rarely do interviews, but while Cloud Atlas was being promoted, they made a rare public appearance to discuss the creative process of making the movie. This was Lana Wachowski's first appearance after her transitioning. She used to be known as Larry. Lana is the first Hollywood director to come out as transgender. And I think this was the perfect film to be the kind of background or atmosphere of that journey. One of my favorite quotes from the movie is, All boundaries are conventions, waiting to be transcended. I highly recommend you put aside a few hours to pop some corn and try to wrap your head around the sci-fi, genre-bending, action-drama-romance-adventure that is Cloud Atlas. Okay, September 2012, Looper! Looper is a delicious science fiction time travel action drama set in a dystopia, which is great if you're a dystopiophile like me, with characters that are so carefully crafted that you care about even the ones with low screen time, like the amazing performance from Paul Dano as the only friend, if you can call him that, of the main character Joe, and the heartbreaking performance of future Joe's wife, played by Xu Ching. Starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt in probably one of his best roles, he's the main character, Joe, and the future version of him is played by Bruce Willis. Bless his gruff soul. Bruce is always so justifiably angry in whatever role he's playing. When he's angry, you're like, I'm rooting for you, I swear. Please don't glare at me. Or maybe do. I might like it. There's an awesome appearance by Jeff Daniels as Abe, 
the eccentric and fucking hilarious manager of the time-traveling, well-paid assassins known as Loopers. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves in movies is shitty child actors, but Looper has an amazing performance from this little guy named Pierce Gag- Gagnon. Gay Ganondorf? I don't I don't know how to pronounce the last name. It's probably phonetic and really easy. Anyway, I think he was five or six when the movie was being filmed, and he has some of the best acting that I've ever seen from a kid in a mainstream movie, particularly an American mainstream movie. I feel like I've seen a lot of good child actors in British or Swedish or French productions. It's like they actually make them act instead of just trying to make them cute or just have them say the darndest things. Ugh. Anyway... Pierce Gagnon, Gagnon is amazing, and I hope he stops acting for a while before he gets corrupted by Hollywood. And then I hope he comes back a little later when he's had some time to rest, and then goes on to be one of those rare actors who are exposed to mass audiences at a young age, but manage not to become shitty people. Perhaps Pierce could be the next Joseph Gordon-Levitt. We've also got Emily Blunt as Sarah, who plays the mother of Pierce's character, who is Sid. Sarah is this excitingly confusing combination of a farm girl and a badass of a party girl turned mother bear. Her character was so real, and that can sometimes be pretty rare in mainstream cinema, especially in movies starring multiple male characters. So it was refreshing to see, and she gives a great performance. I sound so fake. So basically, in the future, ahead of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's time, time travel is invented and the mafia and organized crime fellas start using it to dispose of people who done them wrong in the cleanest way possible popo can't find the bodies of the murdered if the bodies are 30 years in the past the guys called loopers are the ones who kill these hapless folks after they're sent back in time the loopers are paid really well and you see joseph gordon levitt living it up living it up hedonistic dystopia style with crazy futuristic drugs and crazy futuristic strippers and not that crazy not so futuristic fancy cars but there's a catch in the looper life after you've been a looper for a while there will come a time when the mysterious mafia of the future for whatever reason decides to cut off your employment contract this is called closing the loop and it consists of tricking the looper in question into killing themselves from the future. Bam! Mind blown. And obviously, if you figure it out and don't kill the time traveler who is secretly you, then they kill you anyway. Now, it's sort of questionable why anyone would want to work this job, knowing that eventually they will kill their future self. But this question didn't bother me too much, because one of the convenient things about setting a story in a dystopic future is that questionable character decisions can be explained by the fact that the world is completely different. Okay, almost completely different. But it's pretty obvious that the social hierarchy and mainstream culture in the film is very different from ours out here in the real world, and that people aren't too happy with it. They're struggling with the almighty angst of those lacking true social connection, which we see in the bizarrely unloving friendship between Joe and his friend Seth, and the cutthroat ennui of big city dwellers. I eat this shit up, okay? I can't be the only one. Looper did pretty well in the box office, and it's got a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's one of those movies I saw multiple times because I wanted to make different people see it with me, so I saw it three times over a two-month period and once at a drive-in, which was friggin' awesome. Drive-ins are kind of rare now, and they shouldn't be because they're so fun. I saw it at the West Wind Sacramento 6 drive-in, FYI, stalkers. Fair warning to JGL fans, the movie did some fancy computer magic to kind of melt a little bit of Bruce Willis's face into Joseph's face so that it would be more believable that Bruce Willis is Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the future. I thought they did a very good job.
I also enjoyed the special effects in general, especially with the action sequences and the telekinesis. <laughs> There's also an amazing scene, and this is a bit of a spoiler, when one of the character's future self is being slowly tortured and killed, but you see only his present self. So you see stuff like his fingers start disappearing, and he gets cuts and scratches that weren't there before. It's so unsettling, but such a mindfuck of an idea, and I love it. Looper was directed by Ryan Johnson, who has a very short filmography, the only other of which I've seen being something from 2005 called Brick. It was like this murder drama that had film noir toilet paper stuck to its shoe. I didn't care for it. But Ryan did a great job with Looper, and Brick didn't totally scare me away, so I look forward to more projects from this guy. Um, but if you aren't sold by time-traveling assassins, telekinetic children, Jeff Daniels, Paul Dano, and the baby man face of Joseph slash Bruce, I just don't know what to tell you. Now, I know I'm talking a lot, so I'm going to be more brief on the rest of my recommendations, but the last movie I want to give you a longer description of is the Coen Brothers' latest, Inside Lewin Davis. I just saw Inside Lewin Davis this last month, uh, December 2013, and it instantly instantly catapulted itself to the top five of my best of 2013 and some of 2012 movie list. I almost felt like this was a Wes Anderson movie as created by Woody Allen with casting and music selected by the Coen brothers. I don't mean that as an insult or even a compliment or as anything completely coherent, but just as a way to give you a slight glimpse of the mood of the movie. It's a dark, begrudgingly quirky folk musical. And when I say musical, I mean that it's about a musician, and it has an amazing live recorded soundtrack. Not that it's Disney or Glee or destined for a Tony. The whole movie has a grayish filter over it, which gives it what's known as a gloomy feel. I'm actually not a fan of color filters, but occasionally they're used to their benefit, such as with this one, or that weird greenish-gray filter on The Matrix. Other times, filters are like, oh my god, stop playing with Instagram, such as in every movie by Zack Snyder ever. And Tim Burton, quit playing games with my heart. So this movie is set in the 60s, and the whole thing takes place over the course of a week in the life of a sparsely passionate, socially deficient, and grimly handsome, or handsomely grim, singer-songwriter named, spoiler, Lewin Davis. He's trying to sell himself as a folk musician, and he sings and writes these straightforward break-your-heart folk songs. The problem is, it's New York in the early 60s, and folk ain't cool yet. So this is pre-Bob Dylan. The soundtrack to this movie is amazing, and I'm pretty sure all of the tracks that you see and hear in the movie were recorded live. Except one. I forget which one. So there's no lip-syncing. It's, it's real shit. Yo. Oscar Isaac... Oscar Isaac plays Lewin Davis, and he's fucking amazing. He sings all of the songs you see him playing. He completely becomes this Lewin Davis character. He has a great voice, and he sings these simple lyrics with a kind of casual depression. Carrie Mulligan is also great in this movie as this kind of vitriolic female fixture in Lewin's life. <laughs> she seems to want to kill him with her eyes, but somehow they always end up talking for a while. Like, there's this undercurrent of commonality between them that she desperately wishes weren't there. She also has the voice of a heavenly ghost, or of an angel, as is more traditionally said. Uh, and she has one of the most uniquely beautiful faces ever, right? She looks like she could cry at the top of a hat, but you know what? She won't. Even if you don't like folk music, check this movie out. It's pretty dark, the humor is dry, and it's not a problem-solution story or a then-he-learned-life-lessons-and-got-rich-and-famous story. 
It's Uncensored Life, Real Characters, New York, 1961, Amazing Music. Put it on your queue. Pack Rim. July 2013, Pacific Rim. Came out in July 2013, at which time I did an entire podcast episode on it, so I'm not going to talk much about it. Suffice to say, Pacific Rim is in my top five of the last 16 months, and that it's a big old sci-fi action bucket of fun and monsters and robots and subtle romances and everything you want in a sci-fi action flick, and Charlie Day! Charlie Day! Some people are criticizing the film for basically not being a serious drama, and they're pretty much totally missing the point. It's the very best an action movie can possibly be. Every fight scene lovingly choreographed and every actor visibly invested in their part and the deliberately cheesy lines like, Today we are canceling the apocalypse and are you funning me, son? My favorite thing to think about when I'm trying to recommend Pacific Rim to someone is, um, I think there was an interview with Guillermo, Guillermo, fuck that name, I still can't say that name, GDT, Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> Um, where he said something about um, playing with toys in the bathtub uh, and ever since then I've just picturing, pictured him with like a giant kaiju and a, and a um, Jaeger and playing with those in the bathtub which basically this is what this movie is it's like an adult version of those battles that you'd have with your toys in the bathtub presumably unless you're boring September 2013 Prisoners I've talked about Prisoners quite a bit too so just a quick revisit We've got career-marking performances from Jake Gyllenhaal, Hugh Jackman, Paul Dano, and Melissa Leo. Scary as fuck. And by career-marking, I mean that they give such amazing performances, and you can tell that the directing and the dialogue is all so well put together that if actors had to actually make resumes to apply for jobs, every one of them should make it a point to list prisoners. It's an intense crime drama full of suspense. There's a lot of violence, and the storytelling is calculated instead of in-your-face action or thriller. So it's definitely not for everyone. What I've been telling people to avoid having people watch it and then yell at me, that was disturbing, why you make me watch that, is if you like movies like Fargo, Seven, or Silence of the Lambs, you'll probably like or at least be able to handle Prisoners. I recommend it. Uh, November 2013, 12 Years a Slave came out. It also makes it into my top five. Even if it didn't have amazing acting and directing, which it does, the cinematography and the editing alone could have put it in my top ten. There is some amazing storytelling in this movie. It's another one that can be very hard to watch, but unlike Prisoners, I feel like it's something everyone should be able to watch, with the exception of children. Uh, it's extremely painful to watch at times, but it did happen. I think that our awareness of this suffering and horrible acts of humanity that occurred here in this country not very long ago gives respects to the memories of those it happened to. And to remain aware of what we really are, what people can do to each other, and what has happened in our country, in our government. The more we're aware of it, the more we respect the memories of tragedies, the less likely we are to repeat them. 12 Years a Slave is a beautifully told historical drama, difficult to watch, but very well worth watching. So those are the big ones, and honorable mentions for Grandmaster, the exciting kung fu film about Eatmon, Thor Dark World, which I'm apparently alone in loving, Cloudy Meatballs sequel with the food moles being the main cell. Catching Fire, uh, the Hunger Games sequel, was great. Way better than the first one. And the fashion, so good. And then I just saw Frozen with my family and I was like shocked with how good it was. It was not what I was expecting at all. I also didn't realize that, um, oh, I'm going to get her name wrong and I don't have internet right now. But Adina Menzel was Alphaba in 
the Broadway musical Wicked, which I fucking love. I've seen it live twice and I have the soundtrack and etc. cetera. Uh, and she does an amazing job in this movie. And um, it had kind of a mislead where you think it's going to be like a stupid romance with like a prince and a princess, blah, blah, blah. But in the end, it ends up not being that at all and um, has a really cool message and really funny characters. So that definitely gets an honorable mention. And that's it for me. Now I'm going to uh, pull in my co-host who's been patiently sleeping. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> I hear that you've seen a, a couple of movies. Yes. I, Whatever. I went through and I listed all the movies I saw that came out in 2013. I didn't give myself the livery of 2012 16, as well. 16, thank you. 16. Oh, 16 months. Yes. Yes. Uh, Although I did enjoy um, Looper and <laughs> Other <names>. Cloud Atlas <laughs> a lot. Cloudy um, Meeple Atlas. But I, I made this very arbitrary zero to four system. Cool. Uh, scoring system to determine my favorite five movies of the year. I need to come up with a scoring system. Maybe I'll steal yours for next episode mine's basically leonard malton's because he oh. does bomb to four and i'm assuming bomb, bomb oh i get it for zero or, wait no, no so there's bomb zero one two three four or there's bomb there's one, two, bomb four. one two three four. Oh, okay and then he has half points i get myself half points as well <laughs> so it's really a, a one to ten scale nice anyway mm. so at number five on based on my weird scale by the way i have two zeros which are we are the millers mm. and ender's game spoilers why is that a you're spoiler? Getting, you're getting the negative out of it? Yes. I'm getting the negative out of the way. Okay. Now onto the positive. All right. With a three and a half, I have World's End. Three and a half. Okay. Weird. Okay. So that's a good score. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Doing the math. I really enjoyed World's End. Cool. It's my probably my favorite of the Cornetto trilogy. Nice. Uh, at number four. Wait, what trilogy did you call it? Cornetto. It's a type of British ice cream that's mentioned in all three films. Oh. That's what they call these movies, the awesome. Cornetto trilogy. I thought, I thought in my head, I was like, that must be the director, and then my brain was like, Edgar no, Wright, no, it's not. <laughs> no, uh, they write Cornetto, the ice cream, into everything. Oh, cool. Uh, number four, I want some. The Hunger Games: Catching Fire. Nice. I really enjoyed that movie. I'm very excited for the third, oh, and cool. I want to rewatch the first. Cool. Uh, I f- like I said when. I don't know if this was recorded when I said it, but I felt like it ended abruptly. But yes, we did. Talk for about the sake that. of the third story, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Mm-hmm. At number three, I have the movie I just watched, The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, really? Wait, how much did you give? Three? Uh, I gave it a three and a half as well. These oh. all have three and a half. Um, oh, okay. It's a lot of debauchery. It's a lot of excitement. It's very over the top. But I have a special place in my heart for movies where criminals do crimes. <laughs> I love the Oceans, Oceans movie. Yes. I love Italian Job. Yes. I love seeing these people do terrible things for some reason. I do too. So, yeah. but it's there's a lot of like kind of graphic nudity and mm. lots and lots of drugs. I believe I walked in. I think that's the one. Yeah, because you can tell me if it's not. I walked in to do a check uh, late. That's how I see different different parts of the movies is by doing my checks late or early. Mm-hmm. Uh, I walked in while a a uh, lady was being um, having uh, certain parts of a male inserted into her back end and her front end. Was that Wolf of Wall Street? Or no. Was that American Hustle? Or was I not in the theater? Have I revealed things about my private life? Actually, that may have been Wolf of Wall Street. Well. There was couple scenes where it's just nude bodies all over the place okay they were saying something they were talking about like just doing it around the office 
If there's an off, it's probably Wolf. This is the only theatrical release I've seen where it featured a uh, woman's red eagle. Fun fact. Oh. Hmm. Uh, number two. <laughs> oh wait, I just want, I want I just want to say I haven't seen that one yet. That's one of the ones that's going to be in a future episode. Um, but we have had multiple people, mostly seniors, walk out of that movie <laughs> horrified. Uh, one of the people I saw it with, uh, Mr. Alvaro Diaz, mm-hmm. uh, mentioned Whoa. parts of it are like softcore porn, and mm-hmm. yes, they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, at number Maybe two, what? this is a weird three to number two. I have Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs too. Oh, okay. I I watch that movie alone. So that's like a, so by your your rating system, that's a a high C. I gave it a four. It's one of two fours. Which is the highest you can get in my silly scale. Okay. I really, really enjoyed that movie. Cool. And at number one, this is a weird one to be my number one, Anchorman 2. Oh, <laughs> really? I had so much love for that movie. I think it's weird if someone doesn't know you, but I I wouldn't have expected you. But now that you've said it, I'm like, producer. <laughs> yep. That would be producer's favorite movie. Well, it's I didn't see that many movies and... That one had so much nostalgia to it as well, and it, I was so happy that it wasn't terrible. You mean like 60s nostalgia or like nostalgia for you going for back me. to when you first saw it? Oh, cool. When the first one came out, I was in high school and all my mm-hmm. friends, and I love that movie. And the second one kind of brought me back to that, but it was new and it was like actually funny and I enjoyed it a lot. So it's more kind of by default because to me, this movie, this year rather, wasn't amazing for movies. There's some good ones in there, but there isn't yeah. like game changers. Completely agreed. Yep. Music. I can go on a whole rant about how amazing <laughs> it is, but movies. You got your own podcast. I know. Boy. Uh, so that's my top five. And I'd like to mention, according to my silly scale, Through the Never, 1.5. <laughs> Which is a F? D? It's a D. I'd say. Probably D. I agree with you, producer, about the movies that came out in 2013. I started working at the movie theater in May, I believe, um, and I was really excited. I had like this big list. I think I talked about it on my podcast. Uh, it's called Bring Your Own Popcorn. I don't know if you if you heard of it. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Um, there were so many movies I was looking forward to, including Star Trek, and then just just so many of them disappointed. So it wasn't a great year for movies, but eh, what can you do? At least we have Anchorman too. Mm-hmm. And at least you have. Do you have a favorite of the year? Of the year? Or of of the past 16 months? Because you mentioned a lot of movies you liked, but you oh. didn't really give a finite favorite. Oh, I mean, the ones that I talked about in like, at length were my top five, and uh, Cloud Atlas and Looper are my top two. Okay, cool. And then I would say it's Cloud Atlas, Looper, Prisoners, probably. Um, it feels weird to me to have something so dark and just ridiculous this ridiculously depressing kind of to be one of my top ones but it's just like it's all about the storytelling and it's told so well a lot of times people like don't understand why i like depressing stuff um although that's one of the ones that didn't make it onto my list is i just saw philomena which is another philomena which is another very depressing and very amazing um like true story about a woman who her child is taken away from her she lives in a convent um and she doesn't see him again ever but uh, she knows he's out there somewhere and they end up trying to find him because um, the nuns adopt her kid out without asking her. And it's a true story. Um, so they try to find him. And it was amazing. And I tell people, they're like, oh, what's it about? And I tell them and they're like, oh, why did you see that? It sounds really depressing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's a really sad story. It's a, an amazing movie. <laughs> I can relate to dark stories being my favorite. I mean, Ron Burgundy had a really hard time. <laughs> he didn't know what he was going to do for work. and. <laughs> <laughs> his wife had the, 
the anchor position, he was jealous. So, yeah. Don't see prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's about it. I could have, um, I very briefly considered making a worst of, but I just, uh, you know me, I, I, I'm an, I'm, I do enough of that. <laughs> so this is a positive episode. Quick worst of, uh, we're, oh, yeah. we're the Millers, Ender's Game, Olympus has fallen. Man of Steel. Uh, Kick-Ass 2. Kick-Ass 2. Through the Never. Those are I, all my ones that have either 1.5 or lower. I would watch um, Through the Never again before I'd watch any of those other ones. I probably would too, actually. If I could <laughs> cut out the story part and just watch the Metallica I mean, part. Yeah, I mean, it's stupid, but it's not like it's not like Ender's Game where you're like, ah, like facepalm, facepalm, you know? Mm-hmm. I didn't walk out of that movie. I mm-hmm. actually saw it twice. Yeah. Maybe it's the only movie this year I saw twice. Bump it's rating up a little. You know what? I'll give it a 1.75. Nice. I don't want to give it a 2. That seems generous. <laughs> so those are the notable films of the past 16 months or so. Um, Mixtape Majesty acclaimed films as well as the producer approved and disapproved films. Um, so go ahead and get on your Redbox, Netflix, Hulu plus Amazon Instant and check them out um you can email me about it at bring your own popcorn at gmail.com i'd love to hear about your wonderful experiences um utilizing producer and i's wonderful opinions out what's bring your own popcorn Get your own popcorn. Is this real world? Or is this fantasy? I don't know. No escape of reality. I'm just a poor boy. Am I like super late? I I need no sympathy. I'm not cool. Musical, musical. Epic sounds. A Catbox production.